between now and Easter, we're making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible there in your pew, on your phone, wherever you're reading from, if you can turn to the end of Matthew 9, is where we're going to pick up Matthew's writing this morning. Today's passage presents us with a picture of overwhelming need. And I wonder if you ever feel like you are surrounded by the needs of our world, the needs of everyday life. There are those days and weeks where you're needed for a project at work and you come home and you face a longer list of needs from family members. And then maybe you're needed for something here at church. The number of needs, even just in our immediate sort of context, is, is significant. And then we, we sort of take a bigger picture of the needs of the world at a, at a global level. You watch the news. And the list of needs can be overwhelming. Some of you may be familiar with the comedy of Jim Gaffigan. He talks about being overwhelmed with the needs of being a parent to four young children. And he says when people expressed surprise that he had four young children in New York City, they'd say, well, what's that like? What's it like to be the parent of four children? And he says, well, imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. (laughs) It's about like that. Whether you're currently a young parent, a young family, or in a very different life stage, Most of us can relate to what it's it's like to be overwhelmed with being needed, the needs of others. Part of of becoming an adult, part of adulting, is learning how to respond to, to navigate, to prioritize all these needs without going underwater ourselves. In fact, I'd, I'd venture to say that most followers of Jesus that I know, most Christians experience significant stress and even levels of burnout or exhaustion in this area of of meeting needs. And I think that it probably comes from a a good place or a well-intended place because most followers of Jesus are people who believe we are on a mission or that we have a mission, right? So that when we see needs around us, when we feel the, the hurt of other people, we sense that we are meant to do something about those needs. But I want us to, to think about how those needs arrive in our awareness and then how we, we think about mission as, as a response to those things. Again, I think there's a, a typical way we, we tend to think about, well, mission, the mission Jesus has given us is about seeing all the needs out there and then figuring out a way to respond figuring out a strategy, an approach, a solution. But I want us to to think about how how Jesus expresses mission, how Jesus encounters and responds to need. We're going to do that in the passage this morning. But I wanted to give you a a short quotation from a a missiologist, a theologian named David Bosch, who thinks about mission a little differently. He says, mission is not primarily an activity of the church. It doesn't start with what we do or with our plans 
or even our abilities. He says, mission is firstly an attribute of our God. God is a missionary God. What if, what if the way we are to conceive of mission is not to begin with the needs of the world and then figure out our appropriate response? What if our approach to mission should begin with the character, with the attribute, with the heart of who our God is as a missional God, as a God who is concerned about us and our world? But it's, it's from the great resource of God's love, the great resource of God's character, that our needs and the needs of our world, which are massive and greater than any single one of us, it's from that fount that we begin to move in mission and begin to address the many needs that confront us. So I want to I think about how that paradigm might shift for us as we look at Jesus this morning. And Jesus, if, if, if anyone was surrounded consistently by great need, it's Jesus. And yet here at the end of Matthew 9, we see Jesus employing some, some different strategies maybe than you and I are accustomed to. Let me pray for us as we read this passage together. Lord Jesus, would you teach us the missionary heart of our God? Would you remind us of the unlimited compassion and capacity that you have, but as a way to reassure us and remind us of our limited capacity, our limited ability our local ability to meet needs. And may that free us up to hear your calling, to clarify your calling in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we turn to your words to us, may the words of my mouth as I teach, may the meditations and even the conclusions and applications of our hearts be pleasing to you. May they be part of your kingdom's growth in this place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And this is coming at the end of the section we, we started into last week. Uh, in, in, we, had, we had Matthew giving us Jesus' first big block of teaching in this gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, Jesus goes out into the surrounding area of Galilee. And he does all these incredible healings. He calls all of these unlikely people to begin following him. Jesus is touching lepers. He's raising up the lame. He's embracing the outcast. And we're not told an exact time frame for how long chapters 8 and 9 take. Maybe it's a few months. Maybe it's the better part of a year that Jesus is out on this, this sort of healing tour. But when we get to the very end of chapter 9, Matthew gives us a kind of summary statement here. And actually, it's, it's almost identical to one given back at the start of Jesus' ministry in chapter 4. Verse 35 in chapter 9 says, So Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. We can assume by this moment in time, by this point in Matthew's gospel, that Jesus has done hundreds, at least, of incredible things, transformed hundreds of people's lives by the the touch of his hand, by the proclamation of his good news. And yet, despite months or years of ministry, when we get to verse 36, we're told that even then, Jesus looks out over the crowds that continue to come to him, and all he can see is need, right? Overwhelming need, unending need. Every day there were those who came to Jesus seeking physical relief, seeking spiritual deliverance, seeking healing for their souls. And yet it seems that there's only Jesus there to minister to, only Jesus there to, to help meet. And I wonder, again, it's sort of speculative, we don't have a clear answer in our theology, but I wonder if even Jesus reached a point of a feeling pushed too far, stretched too thin. If even Jesus' tank could get emptied. In the, the last few years in the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, there's been a lot of talk about empathy fatigue. That when we continually experience the needs of others, the conflicts of others, the stress of others, the pain of other people, right? It's it's possible that even the most caring person among us can start to wear out. Right? When we get pushed past our limits, that we can even grow kind of numb or, or just sort of disconnected from others. Fatigued. And there's there's been lots of research how pastors or teachers or healthcare workers or those who are caregivers for for sick family members can experience this this kind of wearing down because we we repeatedly face these these needs. And we wonder whether, whether Jesus, maybe in the bounds of his own humanity, also had a similar limit. Right? When does the list of those who need something more from me end? It says here that in the, in the face of this great need, Jesus still looks out over the people. And he sees that they are helpless. They are harassed. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And verse 36 says... That when Jesus surveyed the crowds, he was moved with compassion. Jesus is is moved with, again, the compassion of God's missionary heart. God's desire to care for and meet his people where they're at. In his commentary on Matthew, Dale Bruner calls the compassion of Jesus the great source of mission. The starting point of mission. That if we're going to be people in mission, partners with Jesus in his kingdom, that we must first ask Jesus to teach us his compassion. 
We have to learn about Jesus' heart. Right? That's what directs our mission. But at least as I understand it, I think the compassion of, of Jesus is, is different than feeling responsible to meet every single person's need who suffers. Taking that upon ourselves. Compassion, I think, is different from unlimited, unbounded empathy. Right? Empathy is a, is a gift. I, I'm someone who is usually pretty empathic in relationships. And empathy can, can help us connect with someone who's going through a very difficult time. Right? Empathy helps us connect so deeply with someone that we feel all the feels. We feel what they're feeling in that moment. And in empathy, we even often absorb a little bit of the pain or the stress of the person we care for. Right? Jesus expresses and models this at times in the gospel. Think about Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus is deeply moved with empathy on that occasion. And while empathy can be a powerful source of care and love, empathy usually isn't a gift that all of us can give all of the time. Because we have our own lives, we have our own emotions, we have our own limits, too. And where, where our individual empathy has limits... The compassion of God does not. The compassion of God allows us to turn over the needs we encounter to God and ask him for help in our limitation. If we look at the compassion that Jesus himself models here as he surveys this great crowd of need, he is moved by those needs but he is not controlled by them. He is not dominated by them. Instead, he looks for ways to share love, to share healing, to share support. But at the end of chapter 9, Jesus does something we might not expect from him. Jesus actually acknowledges that he cannot or chooses that he will not do it all himself. Look at what Jesus does in verse 37. Despite being the Son of God, despite being Israel's Messiah, despite being moved with great compassion, he sees a list of needs that, that he, as one embodied human being, can't touch every single person. And so Jesus asks for help. Verse 37. Having been moved with great compassion, he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so Jesus called his twelve disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease sickness. Notice in this passage how Jesus looks to the heart of his Father, to the Lord of the harvest, to meet the great 
list of needs before him. If the mission of Jesus begins by being appropriately moved with the heart of God's compassion, Jesus sets that mission into motion here by allowing each of us to discern our individual calling in the kingdom. Jesus helps show us what part of the harvest field have we been given to walk in. And Jesus does that by before sending even these 12 out on mission, before they, they are sent out, before they discern that, he invites them to pray. He says, seeing the world's great need, seeing this crowd of people who are harassed and helpless, therefore ask the Father for help. Ask the Father to send and to choose laborers to, to go out into this great field of need. And as they begin to pray, Jesus together with his followers discern that there are 12 disciples, 12 people that he is calling, that he is appointing to go out on a specific mission. He's calling them to go out into Israel and basically to do all the same things he's just been doing. Right? Chapters 8 and chapters 9, they've seen Jesus heal the sick, drive out evil spirits, proclaim the gospel. And so now, after watching Jesus, now they get a chance to do what Jesus has done. They are empowered by him. But I think Jesus is serious in that he asks the disciples to pray first and be sent next. I think Jesus would ask us to do the same thing before we get ahead of him in mission. Do we assume we know what needs God desires for us to meet before God tells us, before God shows us. If I'm reading these chapters accurately, there are many disciples who were following Jesus at this time, not just 12. So I imagine that when, when Jesus is saying, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, there may have been more than 12 people praying that prayer with Jesus. And that means that some of those praying disciples weren't chosen for this particular mission. This wasn't their particular calling. They had a, a different part of the harvest coming up. And I think that's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that there are things God has asked others to do. Right? God has authorized these 12 disciples to, to do things that most of us have not been empowered to do to touch and heal the sick, to raise the dead with a prayer, to bring spiritual deliverance in a, in a dramatic and instant kind of way. Right? They were agents and ambassadors of his kingdom with a unique calling. And each of us have a specific calling and mission. Right? Each month we hear mission moment testimonies of those who have discerned the call of God on their lives in a specific way and have responded by, by going somewhere or doing something that we are engaged in, in helping support them in. 
right? But for every one of those missionaries, right, there are dozens of us here in this sanctuary that God has also given a calling. God is also sending out into homes, into offices, into schools, onto farms. Because laborers are needed there too. Because there are needs that God desires to meet in those places too. And so the diversity of our callings is a gift. The same thing goes for the life we share together as a church, right? Some of you are gifted to lead small groups. Some of you are gifted to, to serve in fellowship and hospitality. Some of you help us balance our budget. Some of you are even called and gifted to work with middle schoolers. <laughs> I was talking to Pete this week. If, you, uh, if you've been around the middle school Bible study the last few months, there are now 20-something kids who turn up every other week full of energy and excitement and sugar, <laughs> and we could probably use a few more hands there too. So may, maybe, maybe you're discerning God's call to work in that field as well. My point is that none of us are called to every mission, to every need that God has in this world. And there's nothing, there's nothing worse than when we feel responsible for or feel expected to, to carry on or, or to, to hold a mission that Jesus hasn't actually called us into. Right? When we do that, it often leads to, to guilt and discouragement and then to burnout. And so one of the simple and I think concrete directives Jesus gives here, really basic advice, is to pray. Pray with a fresh openness that God would reveal his calling to you. Pray that you would know clearly in, in this season, it might not be the same calling God gave you five years ago. Maybe God's calling for you in this, in this day is different. Pray that you would, would have a, a clarified sense of what God is calling you to, but also that God would help clarify what God is not calling you to. Release you from some things. Jesus says, don't just assume, ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest. That he would appoint, that he would raise up, that he would send out those who are needed. Right? We, can, we can acknowledge that we see need. Our job is to go and ask the God of great compassion to appoint and to call and to send us but also others. So Jesus says that, that mission begins by saying yes to, to the heart of God, to be moved with and to understand God's compassion, not to be apathetic, but not to believe we can do it all. Mission takes legs when we begin to discern our specific and unique calling where Jesus would send us. The last thing I want to notice in this passage is that mission is something Jesus believes happens in community. Look with me at verses 2 through 7 in chapter 10. It says, These are the names of those 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out. He sent them out with the following instructions. 
For this mission, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Even there, Jesus is, is narrowing the list of need, the target of this particular mission. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. One of the things that, that keeps me from saying yes to Jesus in mission or holds me back, even when I begin to discern maybe where I'm being called or sent, is a, is a deeply felt sense of inadequacy in mission. Not just that the, the needs are too great, but maybe my own skill set, maybe my own ability is just not enough. That in my own thinking, my own limitations, my own finite set of resources, right? Those words stick with me. I'm not enough. For the, the 20 plus years I've been in Christian ministry and mission, right? That's a, a recurring sort of fear or inadequacy I carry within myself. Am I enough to meet the need Jesus has sent me out toward or to? Are you enough to meet the need Jesus is sending you out toward? And I think the honest answer to that question is probably no. I'm not, and you're not enough. But Jesus never calls us alone in mission. The mission of Jesus is never a solo operation, right? The mission of Jesus always calls together the gifts, the perspectives, the relationships, even the challenges of a community of people together. As a pastor of this church, I can, I can feel tempted to believe that the, the success, that the mission of this church comes down to me, what I do, whether I'm faithful, whether I lead in the right way. But the truth is, the mission that God has given to this church isn't just about me. It's, it's a mission that God has given you and I together. He's, he's given that to a body of people, a community. Maybe there are areas of need that, that you carry that sense of inadequacy. You carry that sense of pressure that it all comes down to you to make this particular thing happen. When you sense that question, when you carry that fear or doubt. I think that's a flag, maybe a time to pause and ask, is that really true? Does it really come down to just you? Might there be others that God has also raised up to walk in that with you? Maybe that you've overlooked or maybe that you haven't asked to join you yet in that mission. As a rule, I don't know that God's mission has ever come down to a single person. Even God's own mission of creation and redemption and salvation is a mission that's carried out by a community of three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're called in mission on purpose as a community. But the partners God gives us might surprise us may even dismay us <laughs> sometimes. If you look at the 12 people listed here, 
in this first mission to Israel. It's a pretty strange roster. You've got fishermen, you've got tax collectors, you've got political activists. Right? Only Jesus would decide to put Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector together on the same trip. Right? That's like asking Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump to run your mission trip together. Right? Can you imagine what it was like in, in the discussions about what was going to happen and how it was going to happen? Jesus doesn't offer us any guarantees about the people he's going to send us in mission with. Here's a spoiler alert. They're not going to be perfect. Because you're not perfect either. And that's why you're together in community on mission with each other. All right, Jesus in this list even selects Judas, who would eventually betray him. But he decides to make him a key player in this community and mission. And so, in some, in some wisdom of God, apparently our job is not to scrutinize the other people God calls us in mission with. Whether they're worthy, whether they're fit, whether they're adequate. But instead, to accept that part of the mission of Jesus is what we do, but part of the mission of Jesus is what happens in these relationships along the way. Jesus may be doing other kinds of work through that as well. Jesus says here in conclusion, verse 7, that he sends this unorthodox, heterogeneous, imperfect community of 12 disciples out into Israel. And in doing so, he's sending the message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. I think that that message reaches Israel in two ways. One... There's the reality of heaven's power that's experienced, right, in, in the miracles that these disciples work. But I think there's also the reality of heaven's power in the miracle that these 12 people are working together, right? The picture of this unlikely community is a, is a foretaste of the kingdom Jesus wants to bring. So who are your mission partners, who might be your unlikely mission partners. I want to leave things there today, but I'd invite you to think on these, these three areas, particularly as you look out into your life, into your context, and notice the needs that you may be feeling responsible for, trying to meet. Consider first asking Jesus for his compassion. How would he move your heart? What would he say is yours to care deeply for and directly for? What would he invite you to, to offer to him? To still be moved by, but not be dominated or overwhelmed by. Secondly, how could you invite a clarity of Jesus' calling for you in a new way? How could you pray and experience the freedom of saying, my, my mission is not up to me. Lord, show me what you want to do, and I will follow you. And then thirdly, how could you pray to accept that you're part of a community in meeting those needs? Let me pray for us as we endeavor to do that with each other.
Lord, I pray that this church would not be apathetic or callous to your mission in the world. That where there is great need, we would be moved with the heart of Jesus. But Lord, would you also help us to acknowledge our limits, help us to acknowledge our need for one another. Lord, help us to to freely ask you to send us into difficult missions that you might have for us. But also freely ask you for help. Freely ask you to send and call others that are needed to do your work in this place. We offer these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.